today is going to be one of those days that actually requires your full attention. And uh, I, I think it's important that I say that up front because there's something very convicting about the nature of the passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading. And I'm not sure that you could call yourself a Christian and listen to what we're about to read and not be affected by it. I think that would probably say that you're not walking with the Lord. Because there's something about this passage of scripture that just makes all of us go, uh-oh. Now we're getting a little close to the heart of the matter. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 27 and following. And we're right back in the middle of these teaching sections. We looked at the Beatitudes from Luke 6 last week. And I'm skipping over the corresponding woes that go with those because the, the Beatitudes were for the believers, but the, the woes are statements of sorrow about people that aren't following the Lord. And we come to this passage of scripture that really begins to deal with how we address and approach people who we're in conflict with, who are enemies towards us. So I wanna begin in verse 27. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to the one or give to everyone who asks. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you and your children, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. If you notice, Jesus began this short section of teaching by saying, to those who listen, to those who would listen. Now, the Bible makes a lot about people who are followers of Christ being like sheep who know the shepherd's voice. They listen and obey. And so when we listen to this, we immediately have to ask ourselves, are we of the faith? And if we are of the faith, then we look at this passage of scripture and know that Jesus is speaking directly to us. And he says something about the character of our father and how that character needs to be found in us. And he begins to say, if you are going to listen to those who listen, to those who hear my voice, this is an admonition and a commandment for us. This teaching is very different from most uh, reactions that we have towards people when we think about justice and retribution, isn't it? It kind of flips it on its head because uh, especially during the time of Christ, remember the prevailing thought was 
an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? That had, had been the admonition of the Old Testament, but that had been taken to the extreme. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, meant to put limits on justice. Not meaning that you had to exact retribution by if you lost an eye, you had to take someone's eye, but by saying you can't take any more than that. The justice had to be fair. But Jesus says to us something different. And it goes against our natural inclinations and our natural responses. You know, it's not uncommon for us anymore to see slogans everywhere. And, and, and now that we have yard signs that can be printed, you know more about your neighbors than you ever wanted to know. You know when they have a graduate. You know when their graduate's going to college and where they're going to college. You know what they believe about things. You know who they stand with and who they don't stand with. But one of the slogans I've seen recently that it just pops up all the time is, be kind. That's great. You should be. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? And when we read this, be kind doesn't even scratch the surface, does it? Because, for instance, you could be kind by just following the admonition your parents told you when you were young. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That's kindness. I mean, that, that would be kind towards someone. But really, this is harder than it seems, right? Because if we're being transparent in the room, this isn't our first response. I remember a number of years ago, one of our mission partners being here for a Global Focus weekend. And he began to share with us about some work that was happening in North Africa. And he talked about a pastor. And this pastor's village had been raided by Muslim extremists. And the Muslim extremists had done great harm to the village and they had kidnapped this pastor's teenage daughter and taken her away. He'd never seen his daughter again. And I don't know what your response is to that, but that makes my blood boil and I want those people to pay. That's what I want. I want God to take them out. And yet, it's not what the scripture says. Sometimes you might think the best way to meet evil is to overcome evil with evil, but that's not what the scripture says, is it? Jesus has a different idea for us this morning. So today we're going to break this passage into three parts. We're going to talk about our conduct, we're going to answer a question, and we're going to see the motive that we need. When we, when we do it, it's important that we start with our conduct because actually our conduct is impossible for us to divorce our name from our conduct. You can't do it. Uh, we like to do it, and honestly, there's a little bit of a hypocrite in all of us. That's true. But the truth of it is, if we're going to be called Christians, little Christs, there has to be an element of our conduct that matches our family, our name. The book of Acts records that it was in a place called Antioch, not Antioch, Tennessee, but Antioch, where the disciples were first called Christians, little Christs. And I want you to look at verse 27 with me again, because I want you to see how important our conduct is, because Jesus is asking us to be something before we ever do something. It starts with our being and then our doing. Verse 27, I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Praise, pray for those who mistreat you. 
If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Love, do good, bless, pray, and give. Those five aspects of our lives are absolutely necessary for our conduct, especially inside the church, wouldn't you agree? It's what makes our church and so many churches around the world wonderful, is that when we look at one another, we love one another. We bless one another, we pray for one another, we give to one another, we do good for one another, and that makes sense. It's, it's how you build a great church. And, and it seems logical that we would do that to the household of faith, but Jesus is saying something different. He's saying that the people of God have to do it not just to the household of faith, but around the world. To people who are aligned against us, to people who are enemies, and people who are against us because of our faith. And these are listed to give us an idea of how to respond as Christians when we face our adversaries or our enemies. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And the last part of the passage gives us some concrete examples of, of what we're to do. Jesus says, look at your enemies and love them. Do good toward them. Bless them. Pray for them. Give to them. And one translation of the Bible begins this section, and I love this. It says, I want you to let your enemies bring out the best in you. Is that what your enemies do? Do your enemies, your adversaries, the people that you're in conflict with, does it bring out the best in you? Does it allow you to go to the very core of who you say you are as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you begin to look more and more like your father. Or do your enemies bring out the worst in you? Do your enemies bring out that lower self in you? Soak that in for a moment. Let your enemies bring out the best in you. I think most of the time our mindset is the exact opposite with our enemies. It has little to do with bringing out the best in us. We don't think of our character. We think of the character deficiencies of our enemies. We think of the people we're in conflict and all we can do is throw rocks at them and stones at them and how they're no good and how they need to measure up. But Jesus says that's not how it's supposed to be. Your enemies should bring out the best in you. We think of overcoming. We think of winning we think about the zinger that we should have thrown their way. We rehash events with them over and over again and use those thoughts to fuel our anger and our hatred. Now, you may be here this morning and say, well, I don't, I don't hate them. But do you love them? I, I, don't, I don't harm them, but would you help them by doing good? I don't curse them back. But do you bless them? I don't steal from them. I'm not trying to ruin them, but, but do you give to them? Do you pray for them? I think the word we most often use when we think about our enemies is what they deserve. What they deserve. Now, you write that word down because in just a minute, we're gonna come back and talk about what you deserve, okay? Okay? Don't lose sight of that. 
If we're gonna get in the deserve game, then all things have to be on the table and you deserve something that I think you've forgotten about. I forget about it. So let's hold that word for just a minute. Deserve. They don't deserve my charity. They don't deserve a second chance. They don't deserve my time. What they deserve is what they have coming for them. And that's probably why we would never pray for them. To do so might mean that they have a God encounter. And if we could be honest with ourselves this morning, and let's, let's just take the spiritual kind of nature off this talk for just a second, and ju- can we just be honest? Most of us would be just satisfied if our enemies went to hell. You would. You'd never pray for them. Because it's just easier for us not to deal with that. It'd be okay if they went to hell because they deserve it. Look how they've treated people. Look how they've treated me. They get what they have coming to them. And Jesus says, no, this isn't the way of the Christian. The word that Jesus starts all of this with is the word love. Now, you know this probably, but there are three words that are primarily used in the ancient language of Greek to describe love. There's the love the root of which we get our, our city of brotherly love has the same root, Philadelphia, right? Not the word used here. There's the word that's, that's often used to talk about the passionate relationship that a husband and wife share with one another. And although it's not found in the New Testament, it's modeled for us in the New Testament. And, and what, we, what we find is that's not the word used here either. The word that's used is the word that is the unconditional form of love. And maybe you've heard this before. People often throw it around. I have the agape love of Christ in my life, they say. Or I've experienced the agape love. And, and all they're using is the Greek word there. And, and, and that's the love that God had for us. And it's a different kind of love because this is a love that is the highest form of love. And as one author pointed out, it's a love that chooses to do something. That's how God responded to us. He chose to do something. William Barclay said it best when he talked about this verse. He said, we fall in love with our hearts, but this kind of love that Jesus is talking about is a love that comes from our will to do the right thing. It's different. You will to do the right thing, meaning you have to overcome your emotions, don't you? And a lot of times that's hard for us because I don't know if you do this, but I often want to feel good about a decision before I make the right decision. But that's not how it works. That's exactly carnal thinking. And if you find yourself as a believer doing that, waiting for the emotions to get online before you do the right thing, you're in trouble. You have to do the right thing. And a lot of times the emotions start to follow behind that. You do the right thing first. It's an overcoming of the emotions with your will to obey. And our emotions truly run wild when we've been hurt by someone or harmed by someone. We have to overcome that with our will. It's our will to obey the Lord that makes us choose to obey him. 
and choose to love. It makes us choose to do good. It makes us choose to bless people. It, it makes us choose to pray for people who need a savior. And verse 29 gives us some examples of, of how to deal with this, doesn't it? Because it talks about it. And, and, and it says that, that, that when someone slaps you, you should offer the other cheek. Now, this verse has often been, I think, misinterpreted because it's kind of been this idea that, that Christians should be pacifists. Well, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Although the Bible does speak that in general, you should be a pacifist. Doesn't the Bible say to us, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That's a great verse to live by. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So in a very general sense, yes. But, but, but this doesn't mean that you can't protect yourself or defend yourself. In fact, the scripture tells us that in the defense of our life, innocent blood is not charged. We're, we're not charged with that because we're innocent before the Lord. So let's think about this. What does it mean? Well, a slap is not something that you normally are worried about being killed from, is it? It's a humiliating experience. The reason someone slaps you is to degrade you, demean you, embarrass you. In the ancient world, I mean, this would set you up for a duel, wouldn't it? But Jesus says, when you're slapped, offer the other cheek. In other words, the insult is not the end of your life. Don't worry about the insult. And so as Jesus talks about this, he's saying, take the offense and give the other cheek. In the same way, he says to give to someone who would try to take things from you unjustly. Well, what does this mean? For the Christian to be the doormat? Absolutely not. But there's something more important that's going on here. He's saying our dignity is not what matters the most. Does your dignity matter the most? I don't like feeling undignified. I don't like feeling embarrassed, degraded. I, I don't enjoy that. But you've got to remember something. The Jews were living in a culturally very relevant time for us to think about because they had no power. The Romans had all of the power. If a Roman wanted to come and take something from you, there was nothing you could do about it. They could insult you just for being a Jew and take what you wanted. They could slap you and you really had no recourse about it except to fume about it and let your hatred build about those things. And Jesus says, not the way of the Christian. Why does he say it? Well, what he says is that when we take an offense, we're demonstrating the character of our father. We're demonstrating something that's deeper than this. And this is how he sums up our conduct. You know it as the golden rule. But verse 31 says, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Did you notice that the golden rule actually starts with you and then moves towards others? It says that you are to be the initiator of these things. Now, a lot of different cultures have a negative aspect to this. And what they'll say is, if you don't want people to hate you, then don't hate type thing. But Jesus says, the good that you desire, you do for other people. You initiate those things. It's all on you. The Christian starts with a positive affirmation and he moves towards others to do things that 
are good and helpful and blessings. So you might start by loving and blessing and praying and giving and bearing offenses and doing these things then goes back to what we talked about. It allows your enemies to bring out the very best in you. A lot of us have been overcome by relationships that are hard and difficult and hasn't brought out the best in us. And maybe today you're dealing with one of those issues. You're just, you're just kind of hung up in that and maybe it's from a long time back. I mean, maybe it could be decades back. But Jesus says there's something about how we relate to that that shows whose and who we really are. Christians. Those who hear his voice. So that's the conduct, but I, I want you to see the question that Jesus then asked in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. What do you get for loving someone that loves you? Doing these things are expected, and, and Jesus says they're really of no value. There's no credit to you as a believer. In fact, the Bible says you get no credit for that. Why? Because you're already getting something in return. They love you, you love them back. They give to you, you give back to them. The Bible says there's no credit for that. Now, I know that it's common for us to say things like this, and we don't mean it wrong, but we say things like, I love my people. I love my family. I love my crew. I love my friend group. And, and I, I'm not trying to say that, that we shouldn't. I, I hope that you enjoy all of those things because those are some of life's sweetest blessings in our entire life. To have a crew, to have people where you are known and loved and accepted, it's a wonderful gift of God. But there's something here that makes us go beyond that. Because loving people who already love us, who are like us, I mean, that's easy. That comes naturally, doesn't it? So we form those kind of groups without a lot of effort, don't we? I mean, it, it makes sense that we could love people who love us, but maybe we buddy up with people who look like us, they act like us, they vote for the candidates that we vote for, they pull for the same teams that we like. I mean, it, it's just very simple for us to do that. Like attracts like. That doesn't mean much in heaven. Hanging out with a bunch of people who you like, who like you, who you share things with and do things with, I mean, it's great. It's a good blessing. But it really hasn't moved the needle at all in what Jesus is talking about. Our love is meant to be so much more than just the love that we have enjoyed by a small group of friends. It's meant to be transformative. And that's important if you're in high school or college to recognize that there are people outside of that group. It's important to, to recognize that at work or at the parents' meetings. It's important to recognize it at our senior adult gatherings to open our eyes and look around and see who's really there and who might need a friend that day, who, who might need someone. But this goes even harsher than that, doesn't it? Because it says, look to the people who can't do anything for you. Love them. 
See, the church was meant to be something very different. It says if you lend to those you expect payment from, there's no credit. Do you know what that's called? Banking. That's what banks do. They're not your friends. Do you ever think they're your friends? They're lending you money, not just to help you, but really to help them. That's how they make money. That's the business of banking, right? Now, you may have a friend that works at a bank, but that's different. This is me lending, giving, with no expectation that I'm ever going to get it back. It's, it's transformative. Doing what you're supposed to do gets no extra credit. That's just called meeting the standard. It's when we go beyond that that credit's due. And anybody can love someone who loves them or give money when they're, you're going to expect to get it back. But Jesus says there's something different here. And, and I hope today that we might not just be convicted by these words that we're reading because that would actually just be a tragedy if we left just convicted. The triumph would be when we put these things into practice and change the world. So that's the question, are you doing these things? Your conduct should be this way. Are you doing that? Because here's the motive. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the most high. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your father is also merciful. Now Jesus begins to give us a little bit of insight into this character and why it's important to us. And what he says is that our reward is going to be great because we're children of the Most High. We're proving ourselves to be exactly who we say we are when we are children of the Most High God, when we live in this manner. Now, it's true that children often have things like eye colors and, and facial features and, and physical characteristics of the parents that they have. But, but it's also true that children adopt the good and the bad habits of a lot of the things that their parents have, right? You know, and, and you know this if you've been a parent because there was one day in your life as a parent where you realized you were a lot closer to your parents than farther away. I swore I was never going to call my son, son. That was something my grandfather called me all the time. I say it incessantly. I cannot stop. It just happens. It's built into my DNA. I've watched my grandfather for years go, son, and point at me. And I do it constantly. My kids make fun of me all the time. Son, they, they do this. They started in the pointing game, you know? It's part of who you are. And we're to have the same characteristics of our father and our brother, Christ. To be children of God means that it says something about who God is and what we might not have expected about God is what we found in verse 35. It says that God is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. God is gracious to the ungrateful and the, and the evil. Now, my children will tell you that in our home, we've always had two rules, and there's only two. We don't have a rule chart or anything. It's show respect and show gratitude. That kind of sums up a lot of it. You just don't have to get into the details if you're showing respect and gratitude. And I'm gonna tell you something that flies all over me when they don't show gratitude. I can't stand it. 
Because I expect that as I do these things, you're going to demonstrate gratitude. But our Heavenly Father, it says, demonstrates graciousness to people who are ungrateful and even evil. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem right. Jesus is telling us something that God values and is extremely important in his nature. The Bible tells us God is gracious. Now, that doesn't make sense until we stop and think about it. I mean, I know we're in church, and I, God forgive me, I don't mean to be blasphemous at what I'm about to say, but can we all just admit that sometimes the flesh and carnality, we just wish God would vaporize our enemies. Right? You don't love God? Boom. You're eviscerated. Done. You, you go into a village and you harm people and you steal a pastor's daughter? Vaporized. Gone. Off the face of the earth. Immediately. I mean, we feel like that would be kind of awesome, don't we? Be, because you deprive Christians of their rights, you abuse them, boom, God blows you up. It's over. There's only one problem with that. God would have vaporized you a long time ago. He would have vaporized me a long time ago. Because we were just like this. Ungrateful and evil. Well, actually, it's worse than that. You were an enemy of God. Can I read this verse for you? Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And the problem is, is we don't really remember those days. We don't really remember those times that we were enemies of God. And and thank God that the scripture says God doesn't remember it either. He puts our sin as far as the east is from the west and, and, and he doesn't bring those things up. And we just sang that, that great song that, that he, he counts us as friends. He doesn't remember our sins, even though they were many. Why is that? It was his mercy. It was more. God does these strange things. And I want you to think about this. Do you recognize that God does strange things? Do you know that lost people take vacations? Did you know that? Did you know they get promotions? Did you know they buy houses? Did you? Did you know they have families that they love too? Do you know they celebrate 50th wedding anniversaries and birthdays and graduation. I mean, they, they do all these same things too. The Bible says God lets his grace fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, that the sun and the rain bless both. The sun rises for us, it rises for the unrighteous. The rain falls and waters the earth for us and for the unrighteous. Now, does God have the the ability to vaporize or even the right to vaporize every one of his enemies? Yes, absolutely. But no one could stand before him in judgment. 
We're not worthy now and we weren't worthy then. And you look back at a few verses in Romans and you'll actually see the beauty of God's love. And it's unlike anything that we see from any other God in this universe. Romans 5, 8 says, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we have a heavenly father unlike any God. He approached us when we were running from him. He approached us when we were ungrateful. He approached us when we were enemies. He approached us when we were evil. He sent Christ to die for us when we didn't want any part of our relationship with God the Father. God's mercy towards us was extended not because we deserved it and had picked him, not because we were winning at the game of life, not because we were born in the United States of America, not because we were born into a, a, a right family at the right time. God's mercy towards us is not achieved by any merit on our own. We have nothing to do with it. I need to say that again. You missed it. God's mercy towards us is not given towards us because we achieved it or because we had anything to do with it. We, we were powerless. God gave it to us because of his mercy, his grace, his love overcame maybe even how he felt about us. He willed it to happen. Christ willingly went to the cross but he had to overcome some things, didn't he? In the garden, he didn't want to go. Is there any other way, Father, this could happen? But not my will, but your will. God, this person has hurt me. I don't want to have to be nice to them. I don't want to have to extend love to them. I don't want to have to pray for them, but not my will, but your will. We must remember that as we deal with enemies and life's difficult situations, that we are children of the Father. And that changes everything. This week, one of my friends told me a story about his life that I didn't know. I'd never heard him speak about this. He wasn't living what I would consider a life filled up with bitterness or anything like that, but his life situation has changed and he's having to take care of a parent that abandoned his family when he was a toddler. And as he talked about that and shared what God was doing in his life through that, it was amazing to hear. We talked about this verse a lot because it was already on my mind that God would be gracious to people who were ungrateful and evil and that God would allow us to minister in that way and, and God would allow us to shape people's lives that way and pray for them and bless them and give to them. I think it's incredible that God's gracious to the ungrateful. And I'm glad he was gracious to me when I was his enemy. What about you? Has that moved you in such a way that this week you could let go of a wrong or a relationship that's just been toxic and sour and awful and pray? 
and bless and do good. And love when your heart says there is no love. And love when your feelings are missing from the moment. But to overcome those feelings with your obedience. Can I tell you the great thing about our Father? Is that He still loves us and He loves all those people who we're not getting along with, who are being mean to us, who are being hard on us. He loves them too, and He might just be using you to be the witness that changes their lives. I want to ask you if you'd bow with me in prayer. What did we deserve? Not heaven, not grace, judgment. That's what we deserved. But God, who is rich in mercy, extended grace to us through Christ, his son, and allows us to know him and walk with him and live with him, not just now, but in eternity. And if you've never given your life to Christ today, I want to encourage you to do that, to submit your life to the King. His name is Jesus, and he died for you already. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. He overcame death and rose from the grave. And the Bible says if you would place your faith in Christ to save you, you will be saved. Would you do that today? Just say something like this, Jesus, I trust you, I need you, save me. He will. Maybe today it's time for us to let go of some hard things. And I know, you know, sometimes in these moments, it's like the Holy Spirit just has a way of bringing up that thing you haven't thought about in years. And he calls us to love. If you're wrestling with that right now, I want to pray for you. I don't want anyone looking around. This is just a, a holy moment between you, me, and God the Father, and Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you're struggling with that right now, and you would just say, Pastor, I need the Lord to help me love. Would you just slip your hand up so I can see it and pray for you in just a moment? Amen. Many of us. Amen. Others. Amen. Yes. Amen. Many of us. Amen. I see you. Yes. Amen. Others. Amen. Amen. God, help us today to have your heart. May you remind us that we were once your enemies too. And for every one of us, Lord, that's raised our hand, you've brought something to our mind, Holy Spirit. Our prayer today is that as we willingly love, you'd overcome our emotions and our fears and our hurts and let us lay them down. Help us to pray for those who have harmed us. Help us to win them to Christ by the nature that you have placed in us. Oh God, we love you because you've been so good to us. Your mercy has abounded and we praise you that you did not give us what we deserved. We ask you now to form our hearts to look like yours. In Christ's name we pray, amen.